Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Quickly as you can, snatch the pebble from my hand. When you take the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave. As we begin this morning, I just want to ask us a couple of questions. And that is, if there can only be just one word to describe who you are, what kind of person you are, what would you want that word to be? What single solitary word would you want to be a summary of the kind of character that you have? If someday there could only be one word on your grave that could perfectly summarize the kind of life that that we lived in this world, what is the, the one single word that we would want to be said, this is who Lynn was, this is who David was? I mean, I think for a lot of people that word might be servants, and that's a beautiful thing beautiful way to, to live in this world. Well, for other people, it might be, well, I was very blessed, and so blessed would be my word, and, and I mean, it's accurate. There might be others who would just say that, that I was happy in this world, and I mean, that, that is much to be desired in this world. And yet, as I look at my life, the older that I get, the one word that I recognize as being really the most important of words that that are in reference to humanity that we find in the scriptures is the word of disciple. Disciple is such an important word. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke the 6th chapter, and I'm just going to paint the picture of what is happening in our text Chapter 6 of, of Luke, and starting in verse 12, Jesus has just spent the entire night praying for, for something. And we would wonder, I mean, what would be so important that anybody would spend 2 o'clock in the morning, 3.20 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, now the sun is coming up and it's ascending in the sky, and he's still praying into it's a 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, what would be that crucial? Well, here's what is happening in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, where it says that in these days, he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain in order to to pray, and, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Verse 13, here's what Jesus had been praying for that was so so enormously important, where it says that, that when day came, he called his disciples. And he chose from them twelve whom he named as apostles later on, as we know, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was also called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would later on become a traitor. And so this morning, I want to begin a new series on discipleship. But discipleship as defined by Jesus himself. And I just want us all to to experience once again, when we read about anybody who was a disciple in scripture, just, just what exactly that meant then. 
what it looks like in the world of today, in, in your life as well as in my life. What, what discipleship requires of anybody who wants to be a disciple. Now, I think for a lot of you, this is probably just going to be review. And if so, praise God for that. And yet, for all, all the rest of you who are like me, this is going to be something where you're going to read a, t- um, a text that, that you've read your entire life, but, but now it's going to begin exploding in color for you. You're going to begin experiencing this thing called following Jesus and discipleship now in color perhaps for the very first time. And if, and if that is who you are, praise God for that as well. I don't know where all of you are in terms of your walk with God this morning. I can only speak for my own, but, but I look at my own understanding and my own walk with Jesus 21 years as a Christian, and, and I mean, I'm not satisfied with where I am right now. You see, the beauty of discipleship is that a discipleship's attitude is is that I've learned some things. And yet I've got so much more that I still need to learn. I've done a few things in Jesus' name in this world, but, but I'm not satisfied with that. Because there is so much more to be done in Jesus' name in my lifetime. I've grown and I've matured so much from what I used to be, but, but it could also be, be said in my life that, that 20 years from, from, from now, I can look back on today and say, wow, look at how much I've grown. Look at how much God has matured me as his disciple. And I mean, that is what discipleship is all about. And this is a question of maximum importance and significance. It's a question of, am I truly a disciple of Jesus? I mean, I might claim that I am on Sunday, but, but am I truly, truly his, his follower and his disciple? And the answer to that question, it will give us understanding of the kinds of people that we are becoming, for better or for worse, by the way. The answer to that question will, will decide where we spend eternity in parts. And you might be surprised that the word Christian is not the word that is used in order to, to show the world who a follower of Jesus is. In Scripture, that word Christian is only used three times in the entire Word of God. And by the way, that word Christian is not a religious term, but it came from the outside world in order to be a pejorative slur against people who oriented their, their entire lives around Christ. And yet the word of disciple, on the other hand, though, that is used 270 times, just in the Gospels as well as in the book of Acts, when looking at a person who wanted to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and saying, this is a disciple. This is a a true follower of Christ Jesus. And so, I mean, having said that, I mean, what is a disciple? I think a lot of times it is one of those those words like like holiness and righteousness, and it sounds very pious and churchy, but, but, but I mean, what does that word actually mean? Well, what this word means in the original language it's methetes in the Greek language. What this word methetes means is, is that it is one who engages in learning, 
through the instruction of another far wiser than they themselves. This is one who is constantly associated with a master of some kind. It means a pupil or a student, but in our Western world, that word student has, has a different meaning now as, as what this is speaking about. Because in the first century, when you were a disciple of a rabbi, this required a radical, radical commitment. Where you would have to instantly leave your, your house, quit your job, quit, quit um, a family business, leave even wife and children behind for like three or four or five years at a time. And you would actually move in with your rabbi and spend every single day of those three or four or five years with that person, going anywhere and everywhere with that person. I mean, you would actually live with them every single day. But as it pertains to discipleship, though, you would not just ask anybody to be your um, rabbi in that sense. But rather, what you would do is choose the very best person at whatever that, that skill happened to be that you could possibly find. A person where you would look at, and it's like they are, are um, 10,000 steps ahead of me at this skill, whatever it might be. Where it's just a sage of, of wisdom. And you're like, this person has something in them that I want desperately to now abide in me. That whether it is at carpentry or, or at spiritual beauty, whatever it might be, is, it's like, I want to do this thing just like this person is doing it right here. You would choose the very best of the absolute best to be a disciple of. And I mean, as we, we read, in, especially in the gospel books, we, we find no real shortage of disciples, do we? John the Baptist had his own, own followers and disciples. Scribes and Pharisees had their own followers and disciples. Rabbis obviously had their own disciples. But, but as Jesus comes onto the scene, though, in our text, what we find is now we have a brand new rabbi. And he is choosing his followers. And now he, he is saying, this is how you are to live. If you want to turn the world upside down, follow after me, he's saying. And so we, we find, first of all, 12 men who are his, his original followers and disciples. 72 disciples follow later on in Luke's gospel. I believe Luke chapter 10, if I'm not mistaken. As we come into the book of Acts, there is a woman there. And I love how she's introduced to us in Scripture as it says, um, Tabitha was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And again, I mean, if there could be one description of us in this world, that is the ace of spades right there. She was a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's just so beautiful. You know, I think the problem is if you went up to the common believer in, in the United States and you asked them, what is a Christian? I think a lot of those common believers would, would all say that, well, a Christian is a person who is a very good person. And they're very generous and they give to all kinds of, of efforts and charities. And occasionally they, they might go to a worship service. And I mean, all of that is very good stuff. And yet, as Jesus says, follow after me as my disciple. 
I mean, what Jesus has in mind in this word of methetes is so much more than just merely being a convert to Christianity. It's more than being a member of the church who has a picture in the church directory, who has a pew that they have always sat in for, for, for 20 or 30 years, that, that same exact pew where they, where they sing and they listen to a minister speak for half an hour a week. You see, the most accurate meaning of this word of disciple or of methetes is the word apprentice. And I think it would help us so much if we maybe, in our own world, looked at it as, I am not a convert of Jesus Christ, but, but I am an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I just love that as a description of us. That I am an apprentice of Jesus Christ and you might remember in the old show Kung Fu how you had Kwai Chang King living in a monastery. And he had a sensei who, from, from his youth, had, had raised him up slowly but surely as he transferred all of his vast knowledge into his young mind. Snatch the pebble from my hand. We all remember that. And I mean, that is what it means to be an apprentice, living under a tutelage of another person. And yet the thing about being an apprentice, though, is that it does not come overnight, does it? If you want to be a successful, true apprentice, that's going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tear, and perspiration. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice, a lot of screwing up and making mistakes. It's going to require a lot of growing pains along the way, where along the way you are that close to saying, I mean, why am I even doing this? but you keep doing it anyway because, after all, you are an apprentice. And apprentices never quit. What an apprentice is, is very practical, hands-on, on-the-job training. It is a person who has a very a strong, tenacious commitment to devote 100% of, of all of their, their attention and energy to sitting at the feet of their rabbi. And slowly along the way, absorbing his wisdom until now it becomes their own wisdom. And we see this in the job world all the time. Where I've been in hospitals before and a nurse has, has another nurse who is being trained perhaps. We see this in the police academy all the time. Where there is, is an officer who is learning on the job training as he goes along a show. Has has recently been, been made about just that, in fact. I was even at a Wendy's one time ordering a cheeseburger and had this kid who was behind the counter learning how to work on a cash register from a more experienced employee there. I mean, it's in our world every single day. And it's also in the sports world. How just one week ago, all of us had reacted to shocking tragic news about the death of Kobe Bryant. And yet anybody who knows anything about Kobe Bryant, though, knows that he got all of his moves from Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, I mean, Kobe Bryant was an apprentice of Michael Jordan. I asked for advice, he gave me advice straight from his heart. I've always been, you know, like a big brother and you like a little brother. Vintage Kobe, vintage Michael Jordan. I saw a lot of fancy stuff. What I saw was a score. I saw 
spacing us all the time as well. The fundamentals of the game. You got the teacher versus the student. Yeah, one question. You've been down half foot. Do you want me to give you any advice? You can give me a secret. Yeah, he did. He did. What I'm doing, what Jordan used to do. That last clip was so hard to watch because it came against against my my hometown team, the Phoenix Suns. So I remember when that happened. I was watching as that happened. And I almost punched a hole through my television. I was so mad. It's like, come on, you got all these championships. Just let us have one championship. But I mean, he dribbled the way Michael Jordan dribbled. Shot the way, I mean, exactly the way Michael Jordan shot. He even did interviews where you listen to him speaking, close your eyes, and I mean, it's Michael Jordan speaking. He is, he is channeling Michael Jordan's cadence, his, his voice inflection as he speaks. I mean, he wanted to be Michael Jordan, and I mean, he, he came very close to being Michael Jordan. The next generation, I mean, his generation grew up watching Michael Jordan. But another generation now is, is in the league that, that grew up watching not Michael Jordan, but watching Kobe Bryant. All of these guys want to be Kobe Bryant. And it reminds me so much of, of a passage in Scripture where it says, make disciples. Who will then make disciples? Who will make disciples? Who will make disciples? And it just goes, and it's just endless until Jesus comes. It's true for even me as a minister where anytime I'm standing up here speaking and you are, are all hearing what I'm saying, it, it looks like it's just me standing up here. But the cool thing is, though, whenever I stand up here, I am up here with an army of influences who I have been apprenticed by throughout my, my life and in my ministry. It's Dorian Flynn, who is a great African preacher, who, who spoke on the night that I was baptized, who was the very first one who I ever heard preach, who made me feel like, man, that's what I want to do someday. It's Ray Miller, who is still to this day the minister at my hometown church in Arizona, who was actually, he was the very first one who walked up to me after I had given a devotional as a teenager and said, you know what, David, I would love to see you do this someday. My dad has such a beautiful heart. And while he was a minister at a church, I mean, he was, he was the one who had taught me, yes, preach the word in the pulpit, but you need to be an even louder proclaimer of the gospel outside of the pulpit. And I mean, on Monday mornings, he would be the janitor sometimes, scrubbing toilets, driving widows to doctor's appointments, and an incredible heart of servitude. It's Gerald Payton, and it's Tim Brumfield, and it's Jim McGuigan. I just have so many of these, but, but among my, my two greatest influences as a minister... I've spoken many times about a church in the garden in Ocala, Florida, comprised entirely of those who are distressed and living in the streets. And I mean, when you hear them worship and as they occasionally have some who even teach and preach and you watch them and they've got 
all of what they're going to say scribble on their, their hands, and that is where their notes are. I mean, that, that influenced me so much. And yet I would say, though, that my single most greatest influence, in a ministerial sense at least, is Brad Nelson, who was also there in Ocala, Florida. I was fortunate enough to, to spend a couple of years sitting at his feet. I would walk up every single week to the podium with like 16 pages of, well, it wasn't a sermon, it was a novel, you know, but, but I noticed how, how he would always have a handwritten one-page sermon map. So I came to him and I'm like, how do you do that? Teach me how to do that. And now, lo and behold, that is exactly what, what I've been able to do ever since. And yet the main way, though, and the greatest way that Brad has influenced me and, and I have learned as his understudy, as his apprentice in that sense. As a lot of you know, I have really only been conversationally active for just about 10 years of my life. And so it's like a 10-year-old who's trying to have conversations. I'm just still very conversationally clumsy and... And yet I notice more than anything else how Brad walks into a room, how he engages with, with every single generation. And it's just such a beautiful thing to see. And, and I asked him, I mean, teach me how to do that. And, and so now anytime that you see me walk into a room, anytime that, that we're having a conversation, I just want you all to know that, that yes, it's me having that conversation with you, but and yet it's also me doing an impression of Brad Nelson. And that just really speaks to the power of example in our life. And yet now Jesus is saying, though, there's, there's all these kinds of being, or all kinds of ways to be an apprentice in this world. But, but now what he's saying is, be an apprentice of me now. Be an apprentice of me, just as Kobe Bryant was of Michael Jordan. Love unlovable people just as I have loved them. Forgive what is unforgivable that has been done to you because I can show you how to do this. Care about other people the way that, that I care for you. Honor God's, God's will in this world the way that, that I honor his will. And here's what is so, so incredible about being his apprentice and, and, and really a beautiful way that, that he describes it. Where there's an occasion in Matthew chapter 12 where it says that, that he was speaking to the people and behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking if they could speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him and he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, notice, Toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven is my brother and my sister. And my brother, Jesus says. And yet what we need to understand, though, about being his followers, his disciples and his apprentices is that it's not just academics. It's not just a bunch of information that he's going to, to consume our minds with. But, but really, here's what the purpose of being his apprentice is all about. 
One of the two main components is we have to listen very carefully to what he's saying. As we read in the book of Psalms, notice it says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And once again, he says it a second time. He says, teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I will wait all the day long. Likewise, Psalm 119, it says in verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And I will keep it until the very end. And then he says, I will, will honor it with all of my heart. And so it begins with us listening very carefully to, to everything that, that he's saying to us. But by far, here's what is, is really the most important component of being Jesus' apprentice. Is that just as we, we have seen so oftentimes in the world, is that the goal and objective of, of being a disciple of Jesus is that eventually we start mimicking Jesus. That we imitate Jesus until eventually we become Jesus. And we take on his characteristics in us. I think about another event that we read in scripture. Luke chapter 6 and, and there um, in verse 39 in our text. What Jesus says there on, on Luke's version of, of um, Sermon on the Mount is. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And then notice what he says in verse 40, where he says that, that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, notice, will become like his teacher. This is the reason why we should assemble as the Lord's people Really in part because we want to be of encouragement to each other, but, but mostly because we want to become like Jesus. And there was a Jewish blessing in the first century. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what this meant was, on those roads of Jerusalem, I mean, it was a road and it had a lot of dust on it, and as you walked, you would kick up a lot of um, dust in the air. And so what the sentiment is in this Jewish blessing is, be, be so attentive to your rabbi. Walk so closely in his footsteps that the dust from, from his shoes starts making its way onto you now. That his characteristics become your characteristics and that he becomes you at heart. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And I mean, isn't this exactly what we find in the lives of the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and who he is making us in our own lives? And yet we've got to remember, though, that long before we had an Apostle Peter and Apostle Paul, we had a man whose name was Simon Bar-Jonah and Saul of Tarsus. I mean, Simon Bar-Jonah, what kind of man was that? He was a proud man. He was a very impetuous man, a brash man. But once Jesus comes into his life, though, there's such a change in him, even though he's very human and he's making mistakes in the Gospels. As we read the very last words that he ever wrote in 2 Peter, I mean, this is a brand new man at this point. 
And he could have said that, that I am not who I used to be when I was Simon Barjona. Now Jesus has made me Simon Peter the Rock. Saul of Tarsus, what kind of man was that? Very scary man. A very violent, legalistic, arrogant man. But, but when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and when, when he surrenders his entire life to Jesus Christ, when he tries to come into the church and join them, nobody would, would go anywhere near him because they could not believe that it, he was actually a Christian now. Now imagine if in 1942, Adolf Hitler suddenly shut down all of the concentration camps and started living as a Jew. This is not a far cry from the transformation, this, this radical transformation in the life of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus did horrific things in his life to the household of faith. That is not who I am anymore. David Creek, what kind of man was that? A very anxious soul, a timid person, a coward person who was very selfish. But when, really regardless of who we are, when we come into contact with Jesus Christ in this way, wanting to be covered in the dust of our Rabbi Jesus, we're going to be able to look back at, at who we used to be and say, that is not who I am anymore. I am a brand new creation now. Jesus is still turning water into wine, and, and he's doing it in us. Jesus says a pupil is not above his teacher, but, but everybody, after they have been fully trained, will be like the one who has taught them. And I just want to say that if that is not what, what our sole passion in this life is, if we are not sitting at the footsteps of Jesus, wanting to be fed by him, then we will live and we will behave not like Peter, not like Paul, but, but we will behave and we will conduct ourselves like Simon Barjona and Saul of Tarsus. Really, what, what our series is going to be about in these next many weeks is that there are prerequisites to being Jesus' apprentice. That there are conditions that, that being his apprentice is a choice that we must make every day. In the passages that, that we're going to see in these next couple of months, we're going to notice that, that never once does he say that, that you are, are my disciple no matter how you, you are living or thinking or operating. But rather Jesus uses words like if. Words like then and therefore and must and sell and give, hard, follow, cannot, all, as well as everything. Later on, as, as we continue and progress in this series, Jesus is going to use words that are very scary to the human spirit. Words like suffer, hardship, trials, fight, die, faith, forgive, death, martyr, and crucify just to really name a few. I mean, Jesus spoke of conditions of discipleship. 
And again, it's verses that, that we've read our entire life, so we know them and we quote them, but, but, I mean, are they burning in our souls? Is it the first thing that we think about when we wake up in the morning, that, that I want to be a true disciple of Jesus in this world today? And I mean, when we really look at it closely, when we sit at his feet and we, we really give him our undivided attention, I mean, it is alarming because what he's going to be saying in, in every one of these, these messages is, is that unless you are conducting your, your life in this way, then you cannot be my true disciple. And yet, if you want to, to have life and to follow after me, here is what Jesus' people look like. Here's what it looks like. And I mentioned Brad a moment ago, and I love so much something that, that he says about being apprentices of Jesus when he says this, that the greatest threat to the kingdom of God is not a growing secularism or a world that is getting worse and worse, but what it is, notice he says, what it is is a discipleist Christianity. It's churches that are filled with pious parishioners, but not apprentices. Then at last, what he says is, is that the master is always ready to pour for those who give him all of their attention. And I just want to let all of us know that if this is where our, our, our hearts are going to be, if our hearts are going to be open and applicable to this concept of being his apprentices, then the best years of this church are going to be right now, in the days ahead. And I believe that with all of my heart. And yet as we close here this morning, I mean, I just want to establish this for, for, for me as well as for, for um, you. Is that we are the apprentices to someone or to something this morning. So I just want to ask us, who are we imitating? Who are we mimicking in our lives? Who are we trying to be exactly like? Who's got our attention, our desire, our time and devotion? Who's got our energy and our checkbooks this morning? I think Brad is right when, when he says this because greatest threat to the, the um, world, and especially in the Christian world, is Churches that are filled with people who are convinced, but who are not convicted. It's churches that are overflowing with, with all these people who are acquaintances of Jesus, but are not apprentices of Jesus. People who are church members, but, but who are not willing to actually die surrendering to this thing right here. A student is not above his teacher, Jesus says, but, but after one, or, or rather everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. My friends, may we be covered in the dust of our rabbi. And may that rabbi be only and forevermore Christ Jesus. When you can take the pebble from my hand, it will be time for you to leave.